Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? And I hope you're doing well, everybody. This is Jim McCarrens, back with the good, the bad, and the TV. On the Believe Podcast Network, it's, say it with me, the number one podcast network for professionals. Hey, let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 1958. A year to remember. Or at least a night to remember. That's the title of one of the year's most noteworthy films about the sinking of the Titanic, each page of the script for which, post-iceberg collision, is marked with the angle of the ship's deck at that point, as it slowly sinks into the Atlantic. Elsewhere in 1958, holding political office, Eisenhower and Nixon. Holding our attention, U.S. Army Private 5331761 otherwise known as new inductee, Elvis Presley. In 1958, Ruth Carol Taylor becomes the first black woman hired as a U.S. carrier flight attendant, better known these days as a stewardess. The airline that hires her? I kid you not. It's called Mohawk Airlines, founded a decade ago as Robinson's Airlines. In 14 years, it'll become known as Allegheny Airlines. Ironically, Ruth Carol Taylor is part Cherokee. Hearst Castle in San Simeon, California, and Guggenheim Museum in New York City each opens to the public in 1958. Pizza Hut makes its debut in Wichita, Kansas. Both the hula hoop and Barbie are introduced. Arnold Palmer wins his first Masters. Truman Capote's novella Breakfast at Tiffany's is published. NASA is created. And following an earthquake along the Fairweather Fault in the Alaskan Panhandle, a tsunami with a record height of 1,720 feet sweeps inland at Litoya Bay, Alaska. It's a bleak economic year this year is, in fact, there's a recession. It's called both the recession of 1958 and the Eisenhower recession. It's the result of a car sales downturn and of a slowing of housing construction tied to rising interest rates, among other factors. It lasts just eight months, and it's considered a moderate recession, but it's a very real one, giving the two million jobs lost. Not that you'd know it if you'd worked at the Colgate Palmolive Company. The consumer products company that starts small in 1806 as a candle and soap company is, for whatever reason, setting a sales record during the first half of 1958, which is interesting when you consider the company's accidental role in what becomes one of TV's dirtiest scandals. Now, much of the commercial TV business is, of course, built on the back of radio when it's first introduced in the 1940s. What has been working on radio as entertainment is now used to work on TV. Programs, celebrities, and ideas tied to one are now tied to the other. Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Lucille Ball, and more being produced for the microphone are now being produced for the camera. Lots of other ideas and premises too. Game shows, chief among them, or quiz shows as they're known. 
Quiz shows are all over TV as it rises in popularity in the 1950s, in daytime and in nighttime. Both ones that are on the radio already and the new ones made especially for TV. On January 6, 1958, one of the new ones, called Dotto, D-O-T-T-O, arrives on CBS Daytime. It's hosted by Jack Nars, and it's sponsored by Colgate Palmolive. It's a sort of guessing game that pivots on the premise of connect the dots. Despite or maybe because of its simplistic nature, Dotto quickly becomes a huge TV hit, so successful that it spawns a nighttime version, this one on competing network NBC. From the MemorableTV.com website, quote, In the fastest rise to the top of any daytime show in history, Dotto scored the highest ratings in the eight years that network television had employed a serious daytime schedule. America loved Dotto. Housewives stopped their morning work at 1130 in the East to spend a half hour with Jack Nars and his contestants. Businessmen arranged their lunch hours around the game. Children were attracted to the game in as much the same fashion as a generation of kids would be 25 years later to the whammy or pressure luck games. Three million viewers each week sent in cards for a chance to be called by host Jack Nars in the daily home viewer contest. Dotto had become big business for CBS at a time when the network needed a blockbuster in the morning. End quote. In other words, the summer of 1958 is all Dotto all the time until the weekend that begins on Friday, August 15th, when it's not, and it never is again, because both versions of Dotto are pulled from the air this weekend without explanation, canceled, gone, forever, because of what's discovered during the week leading up to Friday, August 15th. Dotto it seems, is fixed. As it happens, back in May, backstage in the studio where Dotto is shot, a contestant comes across a notebook. It contains questions and answers for Dotto matches, and it belongs to another contestant, supplied to her by the show's producers. Panicked by the discovery that their show is rigged, producers quickly manage to hush up the idea of the notebook by paying off the contestants involved. Dotto continues its ascent to the top of the TV ratings until August, when the contestant who discovers the notebook back in May decides to break his silence. He contacts sponsor Colgate Palmolive to report the cheating. Colgate Palmolive, in turn, trying to connect its own dots, contacts CBS, where executives step in to review the episodes of the show from back in May that connect to the time when the notebook is discovered. And to coin another popular game of chance, introduced in 1929, by the way, bingo. Again, from the comprehensive retrospective found on MemorableTV.com. It's called August 15th, 1958, the day the house began to fall. Quote, in a meeting at 5 p.m. on August 15th at the New York headquarters of Colgate Palmolive, Frank Cooper, executive producer of Dotto, admitted his show had been fixed. Performances of contestants and show outcomes were controlled based on their popularity with viewers and to build drama. The storm had been brewing since May 20th, 
when a contestant waiting in the wings to go on found a notebook in the show's dressing room containing another contestant's answers. Over the next four months, the seas of scandal silently wavered between offers of hush money, accusations of attempted blackmail for money schemes, and utter fear of the tangled web which was about to tighten. The practices on Dotto, the article continues, were mere clones of what had been long suspected but not proven about the big money nighttime quiz shows, which became America's rage with the onslaught of the $64,000 question in June 1955. Cooper and his production team kept the inner circle of the deception tight. The networks did not know. In an era before standards and practices departments, host Jack Nars was not told. The technical staff had no idea. America thought it was seeing a contest as honest as the Sunday sermon at church. End quote. Beyond the immediate cancellation of Dotto this mid-August weekend, all TV game shows come under a spotlight. And the story that will be known to future generations of history, TV history in particular, known as the quiz show scandals, starts to be written. It begins with a nine-month New York grand jury investigation. Among the findings, the incredibly popular top 10 quiz show called The $64,000 Question, the one that's been dominating TV since its 1955 debut. Contestants have been coached here, too. It's canceled as of November. Spinoff hit show The $64,000 Challenge, the primetime edition of quiz show Tic-Tac-Doe, Ditto, like Dotto, each two gone by the end of the year. What becomes the most famous investigation this fall of 1958? That belongs to the general knowledge show called 21, a hit since 1956 which, as it turns out, is a hit thanks to some behind-the-scenes tweaking that producers enact following a less-than-auspicious start for the game when it becomes painfully obvious that, unaided, their contestants generally have no general knowledge. Now, this is said to infuriate sponsor Geritol, which indicates that changes better be in store to make the show more exciting, which in turn leads to producers deciding to help their contestants out, manipulating the game's outcomes. In the later words of 21 producer Jack Enright, quote, from that moment on, we decided to rig 21, end quote. The most egregious example of the rigging comes with the pairing of a returning champion named Herb Stemple with a newly introduced one named Charles Van Doren, at a point in their matchup, its drama manufactured in an effort to get the show into the top 10 with use of such tricks as increasing the temperature inside the contestants' soundproof booth so they will appear to be perspiring as they try to come up with the answers. Stemple is told to throw the game, thus making Van Doren, a man essentially cast by producers in the role as game usurper, the new 21 champ. Now, early on, <clears throat> soon after it first comes on the air, there are rumors of fixing on 21 quiz show too. But they don't amount to much until after the Dotto scandal is exposed, when the spotlight on game shows intensifies, 
and helped by Stemple's long-simmering irritation of being told to lose. 21 is also canceled this fall, making five shows gone in the final four months of the year. Come 1959, a formal congressional subcommittee hearing convenes to investigate quiz show practices. Winners and producers alike are caught up in the examination, their reputations all but sunk. In all, more than 200 contestants, producers, and other quiz show figures are estimated to perjure themselves before the committee. Two dozen are convicted, given suspended sentences. In 1960, Congress amends the Communications Act of 1934 to prohibit the fixing of TV game shows. 34 years later, the 21 scandal becomes an Oscar-nominated film called Quiz Show. Three quick pieces of trivia related to the Quiz Show scandals of 1958. One, it's the Supreme Court ruling in the 1954 case FCC versus ABC, which establishes that TV quiz shows are not a form of gambling, that paves the way for game shows on television to begin with. Two, the 1958-59 TV season, which begins with a total of 12 primetime game shows, is thrown into complete disarray as a result of Dotto Gate. And three, the long-running king of TV game shows called Jeopardy actually can credit the quiz show scandals for its incredible and profitable success. Because as the story goes, one day in the early 1960s, Jeopardy creator and producer Merv Griffin Lamenting the lack, lack of game shows on TV, tells wife Julianne that it must be because the public has given up on them, certain that they're rigged. His wife is supposed to have replied something along the lines of, well, why don't you give them the answers up front to begin with and have them come up with the questions? Griffin follows that just doing that wouldn't be enough to create TV tension. It wouldn't make for great television. And she's said to have further suggested that contestants could lose any money they accumulate along the way if they weigh in with the wrong questions. That'll put them in jeopardy, she says. You got to believe. Hey, I hope you send us some questions and feedback and suggestions. Reach out through Twitter at Believe Podcast or at Believe.com. That's also where you can get some information on advertising on any Believe show, including this one. Find and download us. We're called The Good, The Bad, and The TV on Apple, where you can subscribe to and rate us, or Spotify, where you can follow us. We also have drops every Thursday you can just plain listen to on these sites on, or on Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, Google Play. Then after you listen, be sure to like the show all over your social media. I know I do. Hey, I'm Jim McCarrens. We'll play again next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.